Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. This is the Tony Kinnett Cast on 93 WIBC. I gotta tell you, I am firmly convinced at this point that every single person out there that we can find is desperately trying to lose in 2024. I mean, they are like giving it their all. Like they have just received a pep talk in the middle of the last scene of a Disney sports movie and the coaches come in and he's giving them this inspiring speech and then they've all got up and they started cheering and they ran back out onto the field and and the speech that he gave them was, you guys need to get out there and lose every possible election in 2024. And, and goodness gracious, I mean, it is just something special. So first of all, Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer has just signed legislation to completely eliminate the entire state's fossil fuel industry and transition the whole state to green energy by 2040. Now, if you didn't know, the majority, the vast majority of Michigan's power grid is based on coal. Coal is not something that you can just, you know, clap your hands like the maid and then all of a sudden, poof, presto, things are done. That isn't how that works. And again, I I don't know if you guys are aware, um, the big three auto manufacturers do the bulk of their manufacturing in Michigan. You know, Detroit, you ever heard of it? And And that's her plan? Again, the idea of Gretchen Whitmer only living off of the votes from the kind of weird pro-Hamas Muslim community near Dearborn and all of the woke goobers graduating from Michigan University is just incredible. Whether it's Michigan State University, Michigan, whatever, there's not enough there that's going to pull her through 2024 without the UAW-backed kind of labor Democrats of the 90s. This is going to completely sink her campaign. You've just sunk my battleship, end the game, smash the boxes together and put them away. But but she's not to be outdone because everywhere else we are doing the best of, of jobs out there, folks. It's just super duper stuff. So the Coke Network, that's C-O-C-H, Coke Network, um, has decided to throw millions of dollars behind Nikki Haley in a bid to push past uh, Trump. And it's very interesting because of all of the candidates to put money behind, um, you would think that the billionaire, super billionaire oil conglomerate uh, with its donor network might put its money behind Ramaswamy or DeSantis or even Chris Christie aligns more politically uh, than they do with Haley. Uh, And it's so weird to see because Nikki Haley is not gaining momentum at all. She has come under immense fire after some very disturbing comments regarding uh, social media censorship and uh, requiring people to register their physical IDs and and no longer have anonymous accounts online. Um, Also, Nikki Haley has provided very little, if any, kind of foreign policy directive other than just give money to whoever asks for it. Um, That is, by the way, her strategy to fighting, uh, I guess, fighting against Russia as a proxy in the Ukrainian war is just give them money. And then the southern border, the same, just like throw money at the border. 
Uh, no conversation like DeSantis has made on putting the National Guard down there. No conversation like Trump has made, uh, like sending uh, troops to various places to protect American interests on the southern border. No conversation like Ramaswamy has made about protecting the border. Just throw money at it and hope it sticks. And that is Koch's strategy in endorsing Nikki Haley. So uh, good for you. I Hillary Clinton, who I am more convinced every day is just the Democrat version of Nikki Haley, uh, did the same thing when she was running for president the 456 times that she attempted to win a primary. And, uh, you know, best of luck to her. I really hope that, you know, Nikki Haley gets all of the endorsements so that it is truly hilarious when she gets absolutely nowhere in Iowa. And there is some stuff to support this. Check it out. So this is a current graph Uh, of the November situation regarding polling data in Iowa. As you can see, of course, Donald Trump is very far and away in the lead because Donald Trump has not said anything stupid for quite some time. Everyone right now who is paying ridiculously high amounts of taxes, their paychecks are quite low, their bills are quite high, they're living through stupid times socially, there's a lot of international fear regarding wars. Everyone is remembering how good things were during the Trump administration. And therefore, Trump is polling incredibly high. The indictments are helping him in the GOP primary. Nikki Haley is not gaining ground. Neither is Ramaswamy, by the way. And despite Chris Christie getting on TV today (laughs) on CNN and saying he's glad they're finally gaining momentum, um, I'm not sure you guys are seeing the uh, absolute flat line. Like, they're ready to roll in the paramedics and start the coding process for for Christie's poll numbers here. Um, And then again, you know, Nikki Haley is just kind of hovering uh, Ron DeSantis is hovering a little bit higher. Uh, it should be noted that like 90% of Nikki Haley's donors are massive billionaire donors. And I believe, according to the last statistics that were put out, 60 to 75% of DeSantis and Ramaswamy's uh, donations come from kind of individual low base donors who it's their first to third time donating politically. So it's going to be interesting to see how this gets out. We'll talk a little bit more about this in the fourth segment, Uh, but it is certainly not over because the corporate GOP is beginning kind of its long descent into obscurity. The corporate GOP is a faction of the Republican Party that for a very long time believed that the best thing to do is just kind of lower corporate taxes and then just do nothing for the rest of your term in office. And, you know, for a while that works because lowering corporate taxes is a good strategy, but it's not the only strategy at play here. And uh, this is going to come to a point this Thursday when Republican presidential candidate Ron DeSantis and Democrat governor of California uh, Gavin Newsom uh, kind of do this red state versus blue state face-off against each other uh, on Fox News. Sean Hannity is moderating, I believe WIBC is airing the debate. And I am honestly pretty excited to see this because despite everything else out there that is a bunch of chaotic white noise, the red state versus blue state administration debate is really the only debate worth having right now because that's the debate that's going to affect you most. The policies that DeSantis is advocating for in Florida and that Republican governors from Texas to Indiana are emulating all the way to Gavin Newsom's Democrat blue policies in California that Democrat governors from Illinois to New York are implementing these are the things that affect you these are the policies like removing children from uh their parents homes if the parent doesn't want to give them gender affirming care uh the way that the governor is interfering in energy policy like california did now gretchen whitmer is doing 
the way that we talk about uh, social media policy, the way that we talk about reforming uh, the education system. These are direct policies that are going to come to head. And let's be honest, Trump and Biden, old as dirt, both of them are not the future of either party. They're just not. Trump has maybe one good more run out of him and then he's done. The future is likely with kind of a traditional conservatism rise because that's where populism seems to be leaning its weight. And the same with Democrat Governor Gavin Newsom. The man's incredibly charismatic. He's very good at what he does when he gets in front of a camera. That's going to be interesting. That is a debate worth watching because it's not a debate on two guys that should be presidential candidates. It's a debate of red America versus blue America, governor to governor, governance versus governance. And you're going to want to watch it because we're going to be talking about it quite a bit. Uh, My last favorite piece of news for the QNR this evening is uh, from the Daily Caller, a group of students, middle school students. So, you know, uh, 11 year olds through 13 year olds in Seattle, Washington, because, you know, where else were encouraged by their teacher to uh, send a bunch of uh, pro LGBTQ letters uh, to Moms for Liberty's national headquarters. Now, look, I know Tiffany Justice, the head of Moms for Liberty, very well. We talked a little bit about this, and uh, I am, I, I am, I am cackling over how quickly we went from, oh no, there are no issues of LGBTQing the middle school. No, no one's trying to, you know, groom the kids and throw a lot of sexual content. We'll just have teachers encourage kids to write letters about how wonderful it is being gay. You remember being, you know, 11 to 13 years old, how, you know, you thought about how gay you were. That's the kind of stuff that Seattle is, of course, encouraging their students to do. And honestly, for me, I'm just full on applause, just stellar. You hit the applause button. Way to go. Because to the rest of the country, you're revealing exactly what it's been about this entire time which is about taking kids, sitting them down and saying, we want you to think about sex as much as possible because that's expressing yourself. And it's, it's really about expressing who you are because all you are, I guess, is just something that wants to dry hump one thing and hump everything else. So g- good job, Seattle. 10 out of 10. We're really looking forward to seeing how that plays out for you in the long run. Up next, we're going to be talking to Stephen Kent. There's been a big shakeup over at Disney with Dave Filoni taking over a lot of creative responsibilities at Lucasfilm. After that, Jay Green on the racial lynch mobs that have now become a staple in the Big Apple, New York City. You are listening to the Tony Kinnecast on 93 WIBC. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. It's the Tony Kennett Cast on 93 WIPC. Welcome back to the Tony Kennett Cast on 93 WIBC with Stephen Kent, media director at the Consumer Choice Center, editor of geekystoics.com, and a contributor to Bounding Into Comics. So, Stephen, you got an article coming up 
uh, about some of the big changes happening over at Disney Lucasfilm. Let's hop right into it as much time as we can squeeze out. What's going on? Yeah, so this article is out already, as is the news, that Dave Filoni, uh, one of the chief creatives and executive producers within Lucasfilm, um, you may know his work from the Clone Wars animated series, Star Wars Rebels, also an animated series, and he was one of the primary showrunners and producers for The Mandalorian, probably one of the more universally appreciated pieces of Star Wars content since Disney took over the franchise back in 2015. He's now going to be stepping up to the more executive level at Lucasfilm as chief creative officer, working with the likes of Kathleen Kennedy a little bit more closely, the president of Lucasfilm, uh, to develop the early ideas for the projects that Lucasfilm will pursue for the Star Wars franchise. So kind of an idea like, why does this matter? You know, what what is so key about, I mean, because again, media has been kind of blowing up about this. A lot of Star Wars fans are excited. Uh, a couple of Star Wars fans that I've seen have kind of dropped meh into, into the chat. Tell me why this is so critical for Lucasfilm kind of at this point in time. Well, you know, I, I definitely appreciate what some of your, your viewers and listeners might be saying with like, eh, you know, we don't really know what this means. I, I think that there's some intellectual honesty to that. Um, Dave Filoni and everything that goes on within Lucasfilm is something of a Game of Thrones story for people who follow uh, Disney and Star Wars very closely. Is it going to be Jon Favreau? Are they going to bring in Kevin Feige to be the new king of the castle? Is Kathleen Kennedy finally on her way out after overseeing so many poorly received Star Wars and Indiana Jones stories during her tenure. Um, we don't really know that, but I will say that Dave Filoni has been someone within Lucasfilm who has represented the through line from the George Lucas era to the era of Disney. Right, He was uh, hired on when George Lucas was still in charge of the project, wasn't he? He was, he was hired and, and recruited by George. He trained under George and studied the Force and the lore and the Jedi history. I mean, he's kind of a guy who, in my opinion... If there was an heir, a person who is actually sort of the rightful next storyteller to Star Wars, it is Dave Filoni. There is hmm. nobody else unless you prefer your stories being cooked up uh, by focus groups in a boardroom setting. Uh, Dave Filoni, you love, like him or hate him, he is a storyteller and has ideas about, about Star Wars. I think that that's worth keeping, elevating, and holding on to uh, when so many of the products have been hollowed out of their authenticity. So I, I'm, I'm, I would say neutrally positive about it. Mm. I, I like Dave Filoni. I mean, I enjoyed Clone Wars. I enjoyed Rebels, as, as weird as that. At least the first couple of seasons yeah, I really totally. enjoyed. Um, I would say that probably um, Lost Stars and, and, some of, <laughs> and some of those writings are my favorite that I, that I, that I probably lean to the most. Um, but Kenobi was a disappointment. Um, yeah. it, it really bothered me because it was such an easy story to tell, I think, especially given some of the literature that was at hand. And I mean, it just bummed me out. I mean, literally kid walking under the cape behind like, like two people in a horse costume trying to escape an imperial facility. That's bad. Well, I gotta, I gotta jump in here though and go like the, the Kenobi show, Book of Boba Fett. They aren't shows that had his fingerprints on them. That was Deborah Chow as director and executive producer. Uh, Kathleen Kennedy, Ewan McGregor executive produced, and then mm -hmm. Michelle Rewan. Uh, Dave Filoni wasn't anywhere really near that project. I'm sure so that's why I'm met as, right. as opposed to, to, to being like against it. As my yeah. question is like, is Dave Filoni stepping up here going to keep the kind of 
you know, goofy cameos from like Lizzo and stuff <laughs> out of Star Wars. Like, are we actually going to get Star Wars with Filoni? Because he explored some weird but interesting concepts, um, you know, in the Clone Wars. Are we going to get more of like the good stuff? You know, I would kind of say kind of like Andor. Or are we just going to get like weird goobery cameos and and just kind of like the Muppets in space. Well, I'm going to clash with you on this and say that Star Wars has always been and will always be both, Tony. Like, there's always been both of these elements in Star Wars for people of different age groups. The goober stuff, uh, the sort of ham-handedness of Star Wars that you find in, gosh, Mace Windu being played by Samuel L. Jackson. Like, I'm sorry. I never thought that made sense. I always thought it was a little ridiculous. <laughs> Sure. Uh, and and we sort of just accepted it, though, because you and I were younger at that time. Um, I do think that nothing is necessarily going to change between that balance and Lucasfilm. What I do think is significant here is whether or not Dave Filoni is on track to actually one day being the guy who runs Lucasfilm. And we're going to mm. have an end to Kathleen Kennedy's tenure. I'm not one of these people who sits around all day screaming at the clouds about Kathleen Kennedy. Right. But the evidence is pretty clear. It's been a, a real mess uh, yeah. under her leadership, her, and it's time for her, her decisions to go. have been bad, but not everything can be laid at her feet. And, and that's that's certainly true. I mean, again, ep- the, the, the prequels, obvi- I think, aged a lot better over time, especially when compared mm-hmm. to the sequel trilogy. Um, and especially just episode eight, just the nightmare that it was for the universe. Um, a lot of that, those decisions, <laughs> yeah. like the, the Holdo maneuver. I mean, that was a Kathleen Kennedy like approved decision. And so, like, when looking at some of those kind of situations that arise, I I hope that Filoni exercises more reign in those situations. I, I know that in this article, you're I said you, you're comparing it to Qui-Gon being offered a seat on the council. And mm-hmm. if there's anybody that I trust to make, you know, these kind of analogies uh, when it comes to the Star Wars universe and then its production, it's you. So tell me about this this analogy you're unfolding. Yeah, well, in, in my article, I wanted to sort of lay out for fans of Star Wars, just a Star Wars analogy to try to understand some of the, the promise and the peril of Dave Filoni stepping up to this job. Uh, something that you and I know very well is that there are certain people in corporate and institutional structures who, when they step up to the executive letter, the, the level, the leadership level, that's actually not where they thrive. They might right. be a creative personality. Me. They might be it's a me. searcher. Yeah, yeah. I, it's uh, seriously it's me. <laughs> no, I mean, really though. I I tried running chalkboard review and I enjoyed mm-hmm. it. Um, and when I got to be creative and do the stuff, it was the most fun I had. But so much of my time was mired by executive leadership duties. I had to do development, and yeah. I had to meet with the lawyer, and I had to meet with the accountant, and I had to like go all through all of this stuff. And I, honestly, I feel like I'm just better doing this. Well, it can be the, it can be the demise of a seeker and a searcher personality. And so Qui-Gon Jinn is one such personality. He was a Jedi who was a little bit of a rogue. He was a spiritualist, a mystic. He was interested in prophecy and old legends of the Jedi order and of the galaxy stuff. The Jedi council had no interest in, no patience in. And they also just did not really support. They didn't support the idea of studying old Jedi prophecies. Right. As Yoda laments at the end of the the third book with James Lucent of his work. He does. And, and in this book called Master and Apprentice by Claudia Gray, I think one yes. of the better, one of the better new Star Wars novels. Have you heard um, the audio book of it? No. Oh, dude, it's the best vocally acted as a voice actor. It is the best vocal vocally acted. It's on YouTube, actually. Um, oh. It is 
so good. I mean, Ewan McGregor and Qui-Gon are, um, excuse me, Liam Neeson. It, it sounds ju- it's so close to being well, I just wanna, like I want to go back and listen to it now. But, uh, you know, you know from that book that Qui-Gon Jinn is offered a chance to be on the Jedi Council. He was mm-hmm. given the job offer and he took some time to think about it. By the end of this book, Qui-Gon Jinn realizes that being in the Jedi Council will stifle his ability to study the Force more deeply. He'll be mired right. in politics, management, bureaucracy and being a lackey of the Republic. And he wants to know the force deeper. When I think of Dave Filoni, I think of a guy who actually is really interested in some of the big questions about Star Wars, where it comes from and where it should be going. Yeah. Like and George that, Lucas's explanation that of that doesn't human necessarily mysticism. mean that you should be on the executive team. And so the, the article is a little bit of a, a warning <laughs> that mm-hmm. we should maybe always consider that Qui-Gon Jinn lesson that a promotion may not always be the right thing for you. Right. And again, you, obviously, the more duties that you take on, the less time you have to actually direct and, and bring something into a certain course. This is what almost killed George Lucas. And I don't use that term lightly yeah. while the original trilogy was in production. Um, Empire of Dreams is, is a phenomenal documentary of the original trilogy. And uh, there's another another bio here uh, by Brian J. George. Uh, Brian J. Jones, George Lucas, A Life, and it details that near-death of exp- that experience that a lot of directors have, mm-hmm. man. They, things get hard. It can, it can kill you putting together these movies. I mean, and again, just to kind of relate things back to my own life here in the last couple of years, there were nights when Chalkboard Review kept me up like all night because of leadership decisions. And I didn't get to do what I really wanted to. I didn't get to connect with my team anymore, writers, reporters, editors, and it was really frustrating. So I, I, I like the, the kind of the Qui-Gon-esque warning there. I really hope that Filoni takes it and moves away from what I would say has become kind of the, the too much emphasis on the goofy sitcom-esque instead of a light flavoring of zaniness that space adventure and space operas have. Um, still some of that seriously great adventure and exploration of human mysticism that we do know and uh, have come to love about Star Wars. I'm with you 100%, Tony. I'm, I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic. I believe in people like Dave Filoni at Lucasfilm, but there's only so much you can do in an uh, empire-like machine. That's the truth. Uh, Stephen, thanks for hopping on with us for a uh, great segment this week on What You Watching. Uh, up next, we'll be talking with Jay Green from the Heritage Foundation because things are a mess in New York City. Once again, this is the Tony Kinnacast on 93 WIBC. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. It's the Tony Kennett Cast on 93 WIBC. Feels like I'm losing it. This brand new life, don't know what to do. Good evening and welcome back to the Tony Kinnacast on 93 WIBC. I'm joined by a colleague of mine, Jay Green from the Heritage Foundation, and he shares the same kind of burden that a lot of us share. And that is when you see yet another anti-Semitic mob, um, usually hosted by some variant of Black Lives Matter affiliate that's running through the streets of your local metropolitan area. 
we all share a collective sigh. And the reason we share this collective sigh is because, once again, our leaders are exchanging the safety of their citizens of all races, religions, colors, and creeds for the insane ideology of those who have nothing better to do than attack Jews, uh, white people, Asians, Hispanics. You know, kind of depends on who the, the target is of the week. Uh, Jay, tell me a little bit about what's been going on in New York City, because from what I've seen, it's a mess and a half. So the incident that occurred uh, at a school in Queens is that there's a, a, a teacher at the school who on her own time attended a pro-Israel rally, uh, had a photo of her holding up a pro-Israel sign. Wait, 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 a, a pro-Israel yeah. sign? You mean like... Israel is good and everyone else needs to die? Like, uh, what was on I, this, this I, sign? I don't know the exact content of I, of the sign, but I believe it was like, I stand with Israel or something like that. That is verbatim what was on the sign. Okay. I stand with Israel. Super damning stuff, right? right. I, oh, right. God forbid. But please continue. Right. So, so she had this photo uh, uh, taken of her that she then put on her own Facebook page. None of this in school. None of this with students. This is in her on her own time, uh, expressing her own views uh, in a legal manner. Um, students at the school noticed this, uh, took great offense at it, um, planned. Um, to hold a rally at the school, an event at the school, um, orchestrated to demand that she be fired from her job for having a photo of herself saying, I stand with Israel. On her and private Facebook just, group, on her own time, expressing right. her own First Amendment rights. Gotcha. Right. That's right. That's common Gen uh, Z but, behavior. Right. So they... Um, orchestrated an event which uh, very quickly appeared to turn into a riot in the hallways of a public school where they rampaged through the school, um, vandalizing the facility, tearing a water fountain off the wall, uh, breaking tiles, um, and were uh, chanting outside of her office. Uh, she apparently fled into a room, uh, locked herself inside, where they spent a couple hours outside um, uh, taunting her and harassing her um, until eventually New York City Public School police uh, showed up to retrieve her out of this. Um, now, uh, you know, every part of this is awful. I mean, I don't, I don't even know where to start on the awful. Hold, hold, hold on. Hold yeah. On, hold on. I got I got to stop you right here. We're with yeah. Jay Green from the Heritage Foundation talking a little bit about the craziness that's been going on in New York City and across the country. I had to stop you because you said that the police showed up and escorted her from the building safely. Like when the cops showed up to Cooper Union, the arts college in New York City, and had to get Jewish students that were under siege in the library out through tunnels. So instead of stopping the mob, instead of, you know, saying, you guys, she has a right to be here to walk around. These students have a right to be on this campus. The New York police are, are hiding, are, are escorting the Jews away. Uh, that's that's the modus right. operandi. Right. I saw, I saw someone, uh, you know, uh, uh, say, uh, you know, too bad they didn't have a, an attic for her to hide in. Uh, um, like they advised the students to hide in at Cooper Union. Right. Uh, right. Um, <laughs> So, I mean, you know, the, the worst part, of, uh, well, I don't know the worst part. There are so many bad parts. There are so a, many worst a, parts, yeah. A bad part um, is is that 
um, schools require order for learning to occur. Everyone who... <laughs> they absolutely do. It is impossible to have a learning environment without order. Are you saying, and, Jay, that maybe students don't naturally by themselves want to sit around in a circle <laughs> and sing Kumbaya? Are you? T- I, I got to tell you, man, I, all of my students naturally came right out of the womb into the classroom, ready to learn, smiles every day. I, actually, the, the, the fact that like how we joke back and forth on this actually shows how crazy this stuff is. Anyone who's had children knows that you know children require order and structure and of course they have natural curiosity but it has to be channeled by adults in productive ways and could easily go in unproductive ways if unchecked right you don't have to be the secretary of education to understand that although i guess that's that's not a particularly high bar these days well so so how is it that that there are grown-ups who somehow have res- positions of authority with children as teachers and as administrators as 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 political figures who don't have this kind of basic understanding of what every parent in all of human history has known how how do you not know these things so one possibility is you have to be really smart to be this dumb like you have to like be very <laughs> very highly educated to rationalize your way out of what is known to everybody. This okay, kind that's... of stupid only comes with a degree from an Ivy League school. Right, right. And I could say that with, with an Ivy League degree myself, I can I can attest to the fact that, that, that it does it does help you be that stupid. Um, but uh, you know, there's that possibility. The other possibility, and I think this is also a problem, and I, I don't think it's it's said very commonly, but it's true, is that we're getting a larger and larger share of people raising our children by being their teachers and administrators who themselves have no children. So they're not raising their children. They're raising someone else's children right. and they're doing it in, in incredibly irresponsible, reckless ways. Yeah, so kind they of tolerate, like, you know, you always treat yeah. someone else's stuff worse than you treat your own stuff kind of a thing. Well, there's an irresponsibility that's inherent in, in messing around with other people's kids with crazy theories that are totally dysfunctional because yeah. You're not there when it's done. Like everyone who's picked their kid up from daycare where they've spent a lot of time, you know, napping and eating sugar all day. Yeah, you know, knows that, Kool-Aid at, at double the, at right, double the right. viscosity. This, this is a disaster. But, you know, here we are with we have this lighthearted joking about it, which, you know, you kind of have to have this gallows humor in the face of essentially what is a modern day pogrom in a New York City public school where, where an angry mob chases a Jew and calls for her punishment. I mean, if this were lynching of a black student or calling for lynching of a black teacher, we would be rightly horrified and we should have the same kind of outrage here as we would for that. But we, the fact that we don't is a problem. Um, and, and the fact that these students appear to be unlikely to be facing any serious disciplinary consequence. And, and they're known. The organizers of this effort are known. They, they planned it online with each other. It's not as if they did it in secret where we can't find out. We know. Well, and, and it's not just that. But again, New York City actually brought in their counterterrorism bureau to investigate this. You know, because, again, when you have people ripping water fountains out of the walls and, you know, screaming for blood in the hallways and all of this other insane nonsense – um, I mean, the point of the article that I wrote on the subject was social justice was always going to happen this way, which is, again, why you and I joke about this is because it's so far into the realm of insanity 
that it's it's just bewildering. So follow all of that through. You know, got about a minute left here. I want to ask, how do we even begin to start addressing this chaos in the inner cities? Is it like a board up the inner cities and leave them to it kind of a thing? Because it's spreading into smaller metropolitan areas, suburban schools, and even some rural schools. So I'm not asking to solve the problem. Just where do we begin? So, I mean, one thing to do is to increase responsibility, right? Everything that we're seeing that's bad is a function of a removal of responsibility, which then leads to dysfunctional behavior. So one level of responsibility is to impose consequences on the students who organized and perpetrated this act. They should experience consequences that will teach them and teach everyone else around them about what is functional and dysfunctional behavior. Second thing is to increase responsibility, we need families to have more responsibility for the education of their own children. Mm. That's both an empowerment they receive, but also a responsibility they must fulfill so that they would experience the consequences of their own children's decisions by having to make choices for them. So they, you know, school choice is a, a way to do this, but but we can do it even absent school choice. We can have effectively schools be serving communities and families and understand that is their mentality. I think that's another kind of responsibility we need here. And third responsibility is we need an attachment to some traditional mode of thought taught in schools. Um, because when we untether our young people from any tradition, religious or secular, so that they have no kind of rootedness they become vulnerable to recruitment into radical cults, uh, which is effectively what what they've done. Um, and so, bringing bringing back some kind of religious or even kind of deeply held secular tradition to allow people to feel connected to something meaningful and enduring will also help improve responsibility. I think that's pretty spot on. That's three good ways to get started, at least, because it is a marathon. You guys can follow Jay over at JP Green on Twitter. Uh, Jay, thanks for hopping on with us. Sure. Thank you. You are listening to the Tony Kennecast on 93 WIBC. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. This is the Tony Kinnett Cast on 93 WIPC. Is everyone okay over at the Ad Council and the CDC? Like, like really? I So for those of you that are listening on the podcast, you, you might have to go over to uh, the YouTube live stream replay to catch this one. Uh, if you're listening to it, obviously, on the air, um, then you just heard it. I, I had something totally different planned, and we will get to it for this segment. But I want to talk about just how awful the ad campaign... Allison, are you out there this fine evening? Um, I, hey, Tony. I, uh, I got to ask, did you hear the, uh, the, the, the campaign where the guy was saying, woot, woot, you know, oh, he's buzzed. He started the woot, woots. Did you hear that? Oh, yes. It was a PSA for uh, drunk driving. Yeah, the uh, guy was like, well, if he's, he's doing his woot, woots, that means he's drunk. Which again, the the more the more ah, all of us, yes, I I only break out my woots when I'm the most of buzzed. Um, I I want I want to hit this really quick. Do you really think that there's someone out there who's like who who has the capacity to know when they are buzzed or drunk? 
but it's kind of like undecided on like whether they think they would still drive during that point in time. But then they hear this PSA on the air and they're like, oh, see that guy. He said woot woot. And sometimes when I go woot woot, I think it's time to drive. Do you think that re- like really? I-, I get why we do PSAs, but like that one, really? I, th- I would say it's more like filler filler for uh i don't know <laughs> no sure i hear you and the cdc one before that there's just like oh my friend almost died and he was like whoa i'm so sorry that makes me want to have that thing too which like again like nican or like things to stop opioid crises the question that i would have is how often are your friends like overdosing while you're hanging around them and that's just again that's just i'm not saying that those kind of thing you know fentanyl can be laced on all kinds of things of course but it she just moved right on. Oh, I'm so sorry. Your friend almost overdosed. Gee, that makes me want to carry one too. How often are your friends overdosing next to you? Like just saying, like I would be asking different questions at the moment. What you're saying is they need to increase their writer budget for the PSAs. <laughs> I they do. I do. I, th- I'll take all of the people that are on the writer strike in Hollywood and just put them over in the PSAs, like in a holding pattern for the moment. No, what, what I wanted to talk with you guys about this evening Um, but was very distracted by the shenanigans of PSAs, is that genuinely I have never seen a more interesting presidential race where it is everyone's race to lose. Everyone. It is Trump's race to lose. Trump is currently beating the living snot out of Biden in battleground state polls. And the number one reason is because Trump has not said anything for the last couple of weeks. Trump shows up at events. He gets wildly cheered. He gets flipped off by a comedian's wife that no one... Like, everyone likes the comedian. No one really likes his wife. And, like, Trump doesn't really say anything. The only time he does say something is, like, Hey, guys, remember, I'm huge, and Biden is terrible. So is my Trump impression. But, like, that's all really he has to do to win 2024. And Democrats are saying this on CNN and MSNBC. They're in full panic mode. Like, gee, maybe making Trump the Republican nominee may not have been such a good idea. Uh, It's also Trump's uh, race to lose, not only in the... uh, the presidential standard, but also in the presidential primary. Trump has to simply avoid saying something dumb about Israel, saying something dumb about evangelicals, saying something dumb about kind of the the weird populist movement that he has going for them. If he can kind of stay in that realm, he's most likely going to win the primary. However, it's not guaranteed. We have seen election after election after election in the primaries in which candidates have thought they were going to skate through and just take Iowa, take all of the other states, and it was going to be smooth sailing. Yet, I will remind you guys that so many presidential primaries on both the DNC and the GOP have gone wildly different after Iowa and New Hampshire. Iowa's polling is very, very wonky. And by the way, what data am I pointing to? The last 10 elections in Iowa have not followed traditional polling patterns. That's why people spend so much time focusing on it. Polls, by and large, have been kind of garbage and wonky in the last five or six years because people aren't answering questions anymore. Nikki Haley, it's her race to lose. She's not doing anything new and innovative. Ron DeSantis, it's his race to lose. It's also Biden and the Democrats' race to lose. Right now, they are basically banking on Trump acting insane. Maybe that'll work. Trump gets out on stage and he says, wacko, crazy stuff. I give you the last six elections that he endorsed candidates and they lost. That is very true and unavoidable. Yet, if Trump just kind of doesn't say anything and kind of gets up on stage and points at Biden, it is now Biden's election to lose. So what we have is a very big game of chicken. That's right. The future of the United States and honestly, the entire Middle Eastern, South Pacific and Central European theaters. That's a lot of theaters on the globe. 
kind of hinge on who loses out in the big game of chicken. So if you are, you know, perhaps bummed out there in uh, the, the wide world, you think, you know, everything's really chaotic. Hey, at least you won't be the person that finally screws things up and ends up losing the big game of chicken. That's what's going to determine the next thing. So stick around. At least it'll be fun while we watch it. Thanks for tuning in this evening. This has been the Tony Kinnacast on 93 WIBC. We'll see you tomorrow.